We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Our uh, Parsha this morning, Parsha Kitete, can be found on page 847 in the Hertz Chumash, uh, page 1123 in the Eitz Chaim Chumash. Uh, we begin at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 8. Uh, Parshat Kitetze uh, is, uh, in large part, a collection of laws that uh, were to govern the uh, Israelite society after they crossed the Jordan River and inherit the land of Israel. Uh, and uh, it is uh, uh, it reads like a law code. There's not really much narrative to it. Uh, and it contains within it uh, some, uh, some extraordinary and beautiful laws that we might uh, be... Uh, uh, inclined to hold up and to celebrate, and some challenging and sometimes troubling laws uh, that we might wrestle and struggle with. My friend uh, Rabbi Avi Killip, with whom I grew up in Atlanta, uh, wrote a piece recently uh, about this Torah abortion, about the first law in the Torah abortion, which is the law of the uh, captive female uh, during war. And she says that uh, the title of the piece is Torah Should Require a Trigger Warning. Uh, and uh, and goes on to explicate uh, that law in in uh, in, in really uh, honest uh, confrontation. It's worth reading if you haven't read it. I wanted to focus on a law uh, that uh, that might be challenging in a different way, but I think is really extraordinary. And that is uh, the law in chapter twenty three, verse sixteen, which we'll come to in just a few moments when we read it uh, in in the Torah. The law reads as follows. You shall not turn over to his master, a slave who seeks refuge with you from his master. He shall live with you in any place he may choose, among the settlements in your midst. Wherever he pleases, you must not ill-treat him. So what this law commands is that if a slave runs away from his or her master, and though it says his here, the commentators and the uh, uh, later legal uh, explicators of Jewish law say that this applies to both male and female slaves. If a male or female slave runs away from his or her master and you find them, they happen into your field or your yard or your city, you find them, you're not supposed to return them to their master. Now that is in direct contradiction to what would have been standard practice in the ancient world. The Jewish Publication Society uh, commentary uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, written by Jeffrey Tigay, says, wherever slavery existed, there were slaves who escaped from their masters. Ancient Near Eastern law forbade harboring runaway slaves. And international treaties regularly required allied states to extradite them. The present law, in contrast, 
permits escaped slaves to settle wherever they wish in the land of Israel and forbids returning them to their masters or enslaving them in Israel. Wherever slavery existed in the ancient world, there was an understanding, a law, whether it was in in actuality a law or a norm of society, that if a slave were to run away and you were to find them, you were supposed to return them to their master. That law existed in the United States, by the way, when the United States uh, shamefully had uh, slavery. Uh, in part, the Civil War was, uh, uh, was uh, precipitated uh, by... Uh, uh, by anti-fugitive slave laws that were uh, that were being passed throughout the country angering the south the south and there were civil, there were supreme court cases that uh, that tried to uh, make it federal law that uh, that that if a slave were to run away to the north they had to be returned to their masters in the south so this exists this is this has perpetuated throughout all of human society, but here are, the Torah says that if this were to happen in Israelite society, in the ancient world, if a slave were to run away to you, you have to return that slave. Now, you might think that the Torah would honor international law. And you might think that the Torah would treat slaves in the same way it does with other forms of lost property. If you lose property, the Torah says, then uh, if you find somebody's lost property, rather, then you are obligated to find and return it to the owner. But here, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to do the opposite thing. We're supposed to harbor that fugitive slave. We're supposed to provide sanctuary to that fugitive slave and deliberately not return to its owner. Which teaches a couple of things. The first is that Torah does not relate to slaves as chattel property. They are, despite their status, despite their function in society, they are human beings, not property. And the second is that if a slave runs away from his or her master, the presumption is that that slave doesn't want to be a slave anymore. Now, there were there was an understanding within the Torah that there were some people who wanted to remain slaves. We see a law earlier in the Torah that says uh, that there was uh, slavery within Israelite society and says if slaves have to be let go every seven years, but if a slave wants to remain with the master, the slave can remain with the master. So there was a, a presumption that some people might want to stay enslaved. Whether or not we agree with that presumption, that's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I don't want to get too deep into that, right? So there was an understanding that some slaves might want to stay slaves, but here, the very fact that the slave runs away means that he doesn't want to be a slave anymore. She doesn't want to be a slave anymore. It means that the situation in which he or she finds herself or himself is intolerable to him or her. Now, it doesn't say that the person who finds that slave has to investigate the claim, has to determine whether this is a valid claim for asylum or not. It doesn't say that we have to investigate to say, were they being mistreated by their master? Was their master mean to them? Were they properly clothed, properly housed? Did they have enough opportunity if they run away, the very fact of their running away means that they no longer wish to be slaves and imposes an obligation upon all Israelites to honor that desire. They're contradicting the laws that existed at the time 
did not brand them as criminals within the system of Torah law, but rather branded them as people escaping oppression and deserving, therefore, of protection. The book of Psalms says, Adonai shomer gerim yatom God cares for the stranger, sustains the orphan and the widow, and blocks the path of the wicked. You might ask yourself, how does God do that? There's oppression that exists all over. And the Torah's response is that this is the way that God does that. God protects the stranger, sustains the orphan widow, and blocks the path of the wicked, blocks the path of the slave master from reclaiming their lost slave through righteous Israelites who are willing to flout international convention at the time, flout the law that existed at the time, and instead honor God's law that says these are people who are deserving of protection, support, asylum, sanctuary. Now, I don't necessarily need to make the case so explicitly that there is a lot about this law that parallels things that are still relevant and happening in our time and place. But what I will say is that for the past uh, year or two, uh, Temple Beth El has been uh, a partner congregation in what is known as the Central Virginia Sanctuary Network. The Central Virginia Sanctuary Network is a collection of congregations, now a few dozen congregations within our region, who are uh, helping protect those who have uh, fled their native countries, looking for refuge and opportunity and freedom in our country, uh, and their children, by the way, who are at risk of being sent back to their native countries, who are at risk of deportation. And we are in a network of people who are trying to provide them sanctuary, who are trying to enable them to honor their desire to stay within the country of their choosing, despite their legal status. Now, there's an effort to brand such people as illegal. But the truth is that, and what the Torah affirms, is that no human being is illegal. There are people who break the law. But in some cases, the act of breaking the law is itself an act of seeking mercy. And here the Torah says that the fact of somebody breaking the law actually obligates you to assist them in the breaking of that law. Because the breaking of that law is an expression that what they want is freedom. And the Torah affirms a God who supports the stranger and blocks the path of the wicked. And so we are honoring the Torah's command of protecting those who are escaping oppression and seeking freedom by participating in the Central Virginia Sanctuary Network. Now, I am thrilled and uh, to be able to talk to uh, anybody who wants more information about this uh, during lunch uh, and uh, any other time. Uh, this is sacred and holy work. We are supporting at the moment one person who uh, has uh, sought public sanctuary and uh, is being housed by the First Unitarian Universalist Church. Uh, 
uh, her and her children. Uh, and uh, there may be more in the uh, months and weeks to come. But Jeffrey Teagay says the following about this law. The law bans returning escaped slaves to other nations, the precise opposite of the provisions of ancient Near Eastern treaties mentioned above. The only thing remotely close to this biblical law in the ancient world is the practice at certain temples of granting asylum to slaves fleeing harsh treatment by their masters. Generally, such asylum was not permanent. It protected the slave until he could come to terms with his master or, as a last resort, was sold to another master. By contrast... The biblical law is absolute and treats the whole land of Israel as a sanctuary offering permanent asylum. Our God is a God who protects the stranger and blocks the path of the wicked. The method our Torah gives us to affirm and further God's perception of people and of justice is to provide asylum and sanctuary for those who are seeking freedom and a means out of oppression. And we, in our time, have an opportunity to see the ancient principles affirmed in this law and to see the ways in which there are still people in our world who are yearning for freedom and who are at risk of having it stripped away from them and how we, too, can uphold God's principles of justice, mercy, and protection.